0: This podcast was recorded in front of a live audience on the 29th of June 2016. The discussion topic is novel treatments for depression. Our panel members are Clinical Research Officer for the Therapeutic Neurostimulation Group, Veronica Galvez-Ortiz, Clinical Trials Manager, Angelo Alonso, Lived Experience Representative, Anna, and ex-NRL player, and also one of our Lived Experience Representatives, Wayne Wiggum. Our chairperson for this evening is Dr. Vered Gordon.
1: So just to give you an overview of what we're going to be talking about today, we're going to talk about some of the brain stimulation techniques. Wayne has already mentioned ECT and Anna's mentioned DCS and we'll look at TMS. In a minute we'll go through what those letters all stand for. And we're also going to talk pharmacologically um, around the research about ketamine, which has had a lot of press and so it may be interesting for you to hear um, where are we with developing ketamine as a um, approved treatment for depression in the future. So to start with, I might get um, Veronica to start for us and talk to us a little bit about TMS.
2: Sure, so TMS stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's a form of brain stimulation that it's non-invasive, which means that we don't directly access the brain And what we do with TMS, um, TMS is actually approved in Australia for the treatment of depression. It's been approved for a number of years in America, but it got approved in Australia about a year and a half ago. And the treatment consists basically on placing a coil on the part of the brain that we want to stimulate, in this case... We place it in areas of the brain that we know are underactive in people with depression, and that generates a magnetic field that stimulates the neurons underneath the coil. And through this, um, we can kind of compensate for the um, underactive um, activity that that is happening.
0: Yeah, I guess what what TMS is, it's um, it's a, a magnetic electromagnetic pulse that's that's emitted. So. Uh, sort of, sort of, the coil is basically placed over a part of the head and uh, an electrical, electrical charge passes through the coil and then it emits an electromagnetic pulse. Um, and uh, so the, the, the pulse rate of TMS can be high frequency or low frequency and it can have either uh, excitatory effects or inhibitory effects depending on the frequency you give. So um, if you're treating your left, the left side of the brain or the right side of the brain you might choose different frequencies depending on whether you want to excite or inhibit uh, that part of the brain.
1: So if someone's having a course of TMS, um, how, mu- how do they get treated? How often? How many days a week? Like, how does it work?
0: So usually a course of TMS is uh, 20 to 30 sessions. Uh, in our clinic here, they come uh, every weekday, uh, so five days a week. Usually uh, a session lasts around 25, 20 to 25 minutes. Um, at the end of uh, the four weeks, they're reviewed to see whether it's worthwhile continuing on with, with ten more sessions. Um, if they finish a course and they have a good response, um, they're offered maintenance uh, treatment. So that can vary from case by case, uh, they're, they're, but gradually they slowly weaned off uh, the frequency, so it might drop down to maybe three times a week or twice a week, then ultimately once a week, and then, and then finish.
1: Perhaps we'll first just set the stage. So I might then, Veronica, ask you to talk a
2: little bit about ketamine. Um, yeah. So ketamine—it's really—it's—it's it's being a revolution at the moment in um, the research field for depression. Ketamine has been known for years. Um, it's used clinically as an study. and it's also used illegally as a drug of abuse. And um, the The really interesting thing about ketamine and the potential about ketamine, it's how rapid it can treat depression. So we know that with um, therapies like antidepressants or psychological therapies, you need um, 15 days, three weeks, sometimes even a month to start seeing a response in the patient. We know that with ECT, it's more rapid. It could be a week, it could be a few days. But what we've seen with ketamine is that once you have administered ketamine to someone that is severely depressed, they can be well in 24 hours, sometimes even less. So um, that's, that's a, the huge potential about ketamine is this <laughs> one. But there's a still many things and many questions that, um, that we need to answer.
1: How long do people stay well? after an injection of ketamine? So
2: that's actually one of the problems that we're facing at the moment. Uh, What we see generally in clinical research trials is that the people respond very quickly, but also tend to relapse quite quickly. The the average mm, time would be around two to three weeks, although we've seen people that has been completely well for six, seven months. So that's, that's one of the things. Um, the response is very dramatic, it's very quick, but it kind of um, wears off quickly too. That's after a single injection. Um, but what we're trying to do here at Black Dog and what um, this new trial that we plan to do is set up, is to test multiple injections to see if after more than one injection we can kind of lengthen this time of response.
1: Okay so we might move on to talk about um, DCS and I might actually start with you Anna just to talk about what was it like receiving DCS treatment? What did you go through?
3: Um, So it was an interesting experience where I had electrodes on my head. I think I was quite nervous at first just because they're electrodes (laughs) (laughs) and there is always the I didn't have very much knowledge about the whole process but Angelo and Veronica were really great in reassuring me that the current is a lot, is not, is definitely not as strong as um, I thought it would be. Initially in, I think it was the first four weeks of the treatment, it was triple blinded so I didn't know what I was getting and I actually felt that I wasn't getting anything at the time, but after that, when I did know that I was uh, getting the treatment, all throughout it, actually, I should say, all throughout it, it kind of feels like a a tingling sensation, and they're just placed in special in, in spots on your on your head, and they do measurements and things to make sure that um, the electrodes are placed in the correct places, and. Sometimes, sometimes it can feel quite, quite like a strong current, but other times it didn't feel as strong. It sort of depended on, yeah, whether, whether there was enough, I think it was the alcohol and the contact, the correct contact with the skin. So that was the... That was so how long did you spend
1: each time? With uh, so each going?
3: time it was uh, 30 minutes. So I'd set up um, and I'd just be sitting in a, just a normal chair. And the, it went for 30 minutes and I would... Do, prior to that I would have um, self-ratings of um, my mood for the day or the previous um, whole week... And also I'd ha- I would get a questionnaire, uh, not a questionnaire, um, be asked how it felt throughout, throughout the 30 minutes and whether I felt any kind of lightheadedness or any of those sort of symptoms during that time. So I don't recall ever feeling any of those things. I think there was possibly once in the... Very beginning where I had just a little bit of a a little bit of um, a red mark, which sort of skin sensitivity, and that possibly could have been also due to some of the medications that I was on that my skin sensitive as well.
0: There are different types of DCS machines. This is uh, one type of them. Uh, a DCS machine is basically a battery. And what it does is it passes an electrical current in one direction uh, through these two leads, and uh, these leads are attached to these uh, rubber electrodes. Um, uh, we don't put the leads, uh, we don't put the electrodes straight onto the scalp. We cover them with a sponge because uh, this would actually burn the skin if it comes in contact uh, with the skin. But what the sponge does. Uh, it's soaked in saline, so it conducts, helps to conduct the electricity. Um, what it does is it uh, applies a very weak uh, or mild electrical current, um, and we apply it to a part of the brain that tends to be underactive when people are depressed. And as Anna mentioned, uh, it's the symptoms are quite mild. The most common uh, side effects are some itching or tingling, some redness of skin, but it pretty much uh, quickly goes away. And a lot of people are actually quite underwhelmed when they actually experience DCS for the first time because uh, the idea of having electricity pass through their brain is quite, um, I guess, concerning for a lot of people. But uh, when they actually experience it, uh, the sensation is actually quite quite mild. Um, So
1: Wayne, I might check with you now. Um, Being offered ECT is often quite a frightening or confronting experience for people. What was it like for you to be told that ECT was what was being recommended for you?
4: Well, I was being treated by uh, Professor Parker here and I probably wasn't being truthful to him how totally suicidal I was Um, with the melancholia. I came in here one day to see him and he basically said, Wayne, I'm going to call the police, you're suicidal, I can't let you uh, go home. I hope you don't get angry with me. I said, no, because by that stage I knew I was – he was right. So – and then he told me we're going to try CECT, you know, to be any, – if anything, um, I was probably cranky that it hadn't been offered to me earlier. Would have saved me – you know, it may have saved me agony. I mean, when you get to that suicidal point, as you all know, it's – and I've, I've, I've had a lot of physical stuff but non-comparable. <laughs> So I was kind of happy. I thought, okay, I've got a chance. I've got some hope again. Um, So for me, it was hope. um, And so it was good for me. And if anything, you know, I think that it's cruel to let anybody suffer that for too long. So anything we can offer, uh, that's what I would want for myself and my family.
1: And what was it like having the ECT for you?
4: You know, it didn't really... you know, I didn't really get it explained to me. The worst part was I was in the public health system, so at North Ride, and so the bus used to pick us up every morning at seven o'clock and it would pop into every ward and it was a bit of a sad, sorry bus. We got taken somewhere, um, basically waited our turn. You know, for me, uh, I was that bad that I actually began to look forward to the anaesthetic because, you know, that split, <coughs> that split moment between seven and eight or six and seven where you get that bit of peace. I was actually feeling the first bit of peace in that for, for a long time there. And that actually, that kept me going because I really didn't feel any better till after about the 10th one. And then um, after the, probably the 10th or 11th time, I stopped thinking about suicide every split second of every day and I stopped feeling as much in pain. So I basically got me to a point where I could start doing the other things that you know, we have to do with depression. So, um, you know, apart from the, you know, the bus trips and that, I had no side effects. I didn't feel bad when I got back to the hospital. Um, So really, you know, I think the fear and scare about ECT from my own experience and friends of mine who've had it, none of us have really struggled at all.
1: So, um, Veronica, I might check with you, ECT's changed over time. We don't do it the same as we did 40, 50 years ago. What's different? How has yeah. ECT been modified?
2: So there's there's different things. The first thing is that um, ECT 50 years ago was done in the same way for everyone. Um, so it's the same type of protocol, same type of intensity, same type of placement, um, and it just worked. But now ECT is done in a much more individualised way. So um, we have different ways in which we can put the electrodes. We can have a choice of which anesthesia is the most suitable one for a certain person. We can also choose um, how is the stimulus, how long or short is the stimulus in case we want to prevent for some cognitive side effects. So it's, it's, it's a bounce positively and there's a wide range of choice of um, ECT treatment at the moment. There's not a single one. We're still fighting the stigma, though. So that the, the advances have been very technical, um, but on the other way around, there's still a lot of stigma, fear. Um, I'm very glad um, you can speak about it and you speak positively about it. Many people that have had positive experiences um, with ECT don't actually want to speak because of the stigma about having had depression and, on top of that, having had ECT.
1: Often, um, in my experience with my patients, ECT's kind of left, I guess like with Wayne, as a real last resort, kind of the last thing. What explains that? Why why is it like that?
2: Um, Part of it sometimes is the resistance of the own patient. So um, I found, and this is a, a difference I found, here in Australia, um, people is is more resistant to have ECT. I don't know why. In Spain, people accepted it more openly. Um, part of it is that um, there's there's more antidepressants now that you can use than there were before. Um, there's other things that are coming up too, like TMS. It's a kind of an in-between option. Um, But I don't think it should be left as a very last resort. Like, for people who is acutely unwell, um, you shouldn't wait. Like, ECT should be prescribed at first treatment option. There's a lot of fear about the cognitive side effects um, in the population, and I think that's also um, a reason why sometimes it's left as a last resort. (laughs) Um, but we are also getting better in, in how do we manage um, these cognitive side effects and how we can reduce them. There are still side effects from the treatment, the cognitive ones, we know that, um, but with new forms of ECT, we can make them much less um, severe.
1: I believe ECT can be given either unilaterally or bilaterally. Does this have an impact on the cognitive side effects?
2: At the moment, um, there's three different types of ECT that you can give. One, it's right unilateral, so one electrode on, on one side of the brain, the other one on top. Bitemporal, which is on the temporal lobes, or bifrontal, which is on the frontal lobes. Um, the bitemporal ECT, which is also the most effective form of ECT, which is placed on the bitemporal um, areas, is a form of ECT that also has uh, the most pronounced cognitive effects, because um, it's basically you're putting the stimulating electrode on areas of memory in the temporal lobe. When you move this electrode um, to the top of the brain or you move it frontally, we've seen that the side effects, the cognitive side effects, tend to be less.
4: I'm just interested in uh, possible side effects with ketamine. You mentioned how it's uh, groundbreaking, but are there any side effects?
2: Yes, there are. There are basically side effects that um, we see after we have administered the treatment, and this is mainly cardiovascular side effects, so increases in blood pressure and heart rate. This is usually transitory, and we monitor that um, progressively during a a session. There's also um, psychotomimetic and dissociative side effects um, in which the person can feel strange things, like the their legs are bigger, their mouth is a smaller, the room is becoming smaller, the colours are changing, um, things like that. So th- these are the two main side effects that we see, cardiovascular and then dissociative psychotomimetic. These usually resolve once the ketamine um, has decreased, once the blood concentration of ketamine has decreased. Um, so usually we when we when we do clinical trials with ketamine, we have people with us for four hours, just because we keep repeating these safety checks on them. But usually at around two hours, these kind of effects have um, disappeared. There's also effects that can come from long-term use of ketamine. Um, we know that from, from people who abuse ketamine, um, that we know ketamine have, can have negative cognitive effects and also bladder effects too. Um, This has not been seen when we use ketamine to treat depression um, for two reasons. One of the reasons is that we use a much lower dose than the people that it's addicted use. So the dose that we use is usually sub-anesthetic. The second thing is that we don't use it chronically. It's for a short period of time. But there might be that um, if we start giving ketamine in a way which is um, in a chronic way, that like these sort of cumulative side effects on cognition and, and bladder issues might, might come up.
1: Do we know the mechanism for the effect of either ketamine or ECT on the brain?
2: For ECT... Uh, we still don't know the exact mechanism of action. We know that there are certain things that probably contribute to its effects. For instance, when we give ECT, we produce a generalized seizure, and that has um, a lot of neurotransmitter release and a lot of hormone release, that we think it's beneficial for symptom improvement. Also. Um, when we give ECT uh, for a period of time, let's say 10, 12 sessions, we know that the brain plasticity changes. So ECT has kind of neurotrophic effects, generates new neurons in the brain. With ketamine, uh, it's all still under, under, under research. The exit mechanism It's also known. It acts at many different levels. So when you give ketamine, there's a cascade of things happening in the brain. Um, One of them, it's neurotransmitter release. Um, The other one, it's also very rapid neuroplastic effects. So what studies have seen in rats is that after you give an injection of ketamine, a few hours after, there's already new neuronal sprouting neur- neuronal in the brain. So it's, it's kind of making new neurons grow and that can have also a positive effect on, on depressive symptoms.
1: Are there any studies that compare the effectiveness of ECT with TMS?
2: So there's a studies comparing um, TMS and ECT. Not a lot. I think there's three published studies. And what these studies found is that ECT is more effective than TMS, especially for psychotic depression. Okay, So ECT is the most effective form of treatment that we know for depression. Then there's non-studies comparing um, TMS with ketamine that I'm aware of. And there's one study um, comparing ECT with ketamine. Um, which found that ketamine had a more rapid onset of effects. So people that was on ketamine improved more quickly than the people that was on ECT. But at the end, all, all the people in both groups were improved. However, this is a study only. I think only have 12 or 14 people. But definitely the way to go is comparing ketamine with ECT in a, in a future. So ECT could be used for treatment-resistant depression melancholic depression, bipolar depression, psychotic depression and for forms of depression that really need an urgent intervention like when people is catatonic, they stop eating, they stop walking, they stop going to the toilet, everything paralyzes. Um, sometimes it can be used for non-melancholic depression too but I think um, in, my, in my professional experience the outcomes are not as good. So when would you prescribe ECT? Is that your question? Yeah, you would prescribe ECT for, first of all, someone who is really severe. You need to act quickly. It could be severe for several reasons, because they have to stop eating or because there's a high risk of suicide. Or someone who is biological, biologically very treatment resistant. So someone that has a, maybe a bipolar depression, you have tried several antidepressants, he's not suicidal, but his resistance to treatment is very high, so then you will try the ECT. And you would prescribe ECT to someone that, for instance, has responded to ECT in the past and you know they have relapsed, they have a good response in the past, so you're not gonna wait to prescribe anything else and, and then you will prescribe ECT again.
1: Can you use ketamine with other antidepressant medications?
2: It seems to be safe. Typically, um, ECT ketamine started in the States about 10 years ago, and these initial trials, what they do is they withdrawn people from medications, and then they just gave ketamine. But since research has progressed, um, lately the trials tend to maintain the people on medications, and the trials we've run here at the Black Tech Institute, we keep people on the same medications for the duration of the trial, And and yes, it seems safe. The dose of ketamine that has been typically trialled on research is 0.5 milligram kilo. But we have seen that not necessarily all the people need 0.5 milligram kilo to respond. Some people might need less. Some people might need more. But it's always um, in the range of between (coughs) 0.2 to 0.8, some people, one milligram, it's unclear. So it's unclear what dose do we give. It's unclear what is the best way to give it. Um, And it's unclear, like, how frequent do we need to give it. So that's what we try to answer now with our current research trials here.
3: I was just wondering with ECT, what would be the contraindications of referring someone for that or when wouldn't you suggest um, ECT, assuming that they have a melancholic type of depression?
2: So there's no absolute contraindications for ECT. Um, There's only relative contraindications. And it's basically um, things like, if you have a a brain tumour or things in your brain that can increase um, intracranial blood pressure because that might pose a risk. Because when, when you have a seizure Uh, There's an increase in general blood pressure, but also intracranial blood pressure. Uh, But this is something that um, you need to kind of discuss with the anesthetist, what you can do and what you cannot do, depending on how severe the patient is. Uh, And then recent uh, myocardial infarction. So if someone has had an infarct, exactly for the same same reason when um, we give ECT, there's a huge increase in blood pressure immediately after the seizure. Um, So, someone that has had a a very recent um, infarct um, could could not receive ECT. Having said that, after six months or seven months, then you would would consider if the person is still needed. But there's no absolute contraindication, no age limit. Um, It's always what can you manage with the anaesthetic risk and the blood pressure risk.
0: Just getting back to ketamine for a minute. If um, the average duration of response is around three weeks and sometimes it's a lot longer than that from a single dose of ketamine, um, is the thinking to give a single dose, see what the response is like and then retreat when relapse occurs or is it a different kind of thinking around ketamine to that?
2: One of the very novel research that we have done here in in the Black Doc Institute and Wesley Hospital is that um, All of the studies in the U.S. always gave the same dose to people. They always gave 0.5. But what we did here is um, we had two pilot trials in which we started with a very low dose, wait for a week, and if there was no response, increase. And then just find the dose that was right for that person. And if this person needed more doses, then give, give him or her more doses. That's what I mean by titration, which is is what would do with any medication, right? You would start 75 milligrams of benlufaxine, okay, we'll wait a bit. If it doesn't work, then you will increase to 150 and then you will see. Um, that's, that's what I mean, yeah.
1: Can you expand further on the possible memory loss that can occur with ECT?
2: So the way it affects the memory varies between people. We know Older people can get more memory effects than younger people just because their brains are more fragile. And usually we have two types of memory effects, um, retrograde memory effects and anterograde. so things that have happened before and after the treatment. What we see more frequently is that people cannot remember Um, things that happened before the treatment and particularly personal information. So autobiographical memory is the more um, frequent and in part distressing side effect for patients because they might not remember, um, I don't know, when did they get married or what was their first school. Like personal stuff, it's it's what it gets more affected. Um, The duration of these also varies so typically, It resolves with time but we also know that some people never recover this information.
1: Can you talk about how ECT combines with other medications?
2: Yeah patients are on their usual medication and sometimes medication gets changed during ECT. Basically because when you stop ECT you need to have medication to avoid relapse. If If medication helps the effects of ECT um, it probably does so it wouldn't be the same um, taking so normally people who is referred to ECT is already taking medications. It doesn't make any sense to take the medications away and then put them back. So it's that the usual practice is just keep them on their medications and then continuing them on their medications once the ECT is finished because you need you need continuation strategies so um, you cannot, thing that someone that has received ECT then can go home without anything else. Anna, I'm curious, um, what made
1: you go forward with the DCS? Um, Had you tried other treatments that hadn't worked or did you not want to use medication? Like what was the...
3: Um, So I first uh, was put on an antidepressant, um, an SSRI, when I was 21. Um, So uh, 2008. Eight, Um, and I had been for a number of years on and off um, antidepressants, and it wasn't until um, um, 2012 um, that I was admitted uh, to um, a private hospital um, after a suicide attempt. Um, And it was, it was actually only after that, that I was diagnosed with bipolar depression. Um, and they, um, one of, I think one of the things is that, um, sort of partially caused by the antidepressants. Um, I was then put on, um, and, um, I was trialled for almost a year, uh, just over a year. On a number of different um, medications, um, so a combination of antidepressants, antipsychotics, mm. and mood stabilizers. Um, and I think I tried probably six, probably a combination of six different um, drugs at the time. Um, but I had quite a lot of the drug side effects. Um, so the from the lithium. Um, the weight gain um, and um, a few of the other side effects. When I when I was first told about the trial, um, I think one of one of the main reasons I wanted to um, try DCS was um, just to get rid, just to so that I wouldn't have to take as much medication um, to reduce the side effects of the medication. Um, when I started DCS last year, I was on four um, medications um, and now I'm on one mood stabiliser. And um, that's, um, that's been really good. Um, I, um, having said that, I, I still, you know, see a psychologist um, and do a lot of, it's not just... Um, sort of a one, one form of treatment, um, <laughs> sort of like a combination um, But I've, yeah, I've been on one, um, I, I think I stopped, I had my last DCS um, session just about six weeks ago um, and I'm, yeah, still just taking the, um, just the epilim.
1: great. Thanks for sharing that. And um, I might check with you as well, Wayne. Um, How has the ECT for you fitted in with using medications or not using medications? Um, How has that worked for you over the years?
4: Well, uh, for me, and you know, this is just... I'm not sure if this is right, but after I had the ECT, they changed my medications. We're still playing around with it. Parnate, Epilim, uh, Seroquel. What it seemed to me that... Things had never worked before. Like I'd had every tablet in the book and nothing worked. After about three or four weeks after the ECT, I felt that the trees got greener and the sky got bluer and I felt that that was the tablets working for the first time. Um, And I thought that was because the ECT must have done what it does and to make it work. But again, you know, I had to do all the other things that we all know that you have to do you know, when you're struggling. But I I've, I've felt that, that's what I thought. I thought this has made this work, uh, you know, but that's just a personal feeling. But I am in a men's group um, when there's several other guys in there that have had ECT and they all say a similar thing. You know, we, we, we're fairly similar in our thoughts about it. Um, so, you know, and that's just a, a very small sample, but that's what, you know, we believe and I believe.
1: So it might be interesting to speak more widely um Angela and Veronica, around how do we decide who should have TMS, who should have DCS, um, which treatment for whom, where's the place of these new treatments um, in our thinking?
0: Just in terms of where these new brain stimulation techniques fit in, um, there haven't been a lot of direct um, studies comparing, um, for example, TMS or DCS to an antidepressant. There are only a couple of studies that I know of that uh, compared uh, direct current stimulation to an SSRI. And what that found was uh, combining DCS with an SSRI was more effective compared to receiving just one, either an SSRI or DCS by itself. And both were more effective compared to just a a placebo. Um, But there are many different types of drugs out there, so it's hard to say, it's hard to generalize whether that's going to be the same with other uh, antidepressants. And I guess um, what's sort of affecting, you know, what sort of people choose uh, TMS or choose to do a clinical trial like Anna did is their experience with uh, sort of the existing uh, treatments out there or their reluctance to try established treatments like uh, ACT. So some people might initially, typically try antidepressants first because that's often the first sort of frontline treatment that the doctors prescribe. Um, if that doesn't work or they can't tolerate um, uh, the side effects from antidepressants, then they might look for non-medication treatments. And, um, you know, initially, the, the doctor might think ECTs actually would be good for them, but because of their reluctance, they might want to try something more mild uh, to begin with, like uh, TMS or a clinical trial like like DCS. Um, so it's those sorts of, I guess it's what what patients are prepared to to take, and also, um, also the I guess the, the, the flavour of their depression. So, you know, TMS and DCS are sort of biological treatments. So, um, you'd think that people with a, a melancholic or a biological flavour to their depression should be more uh, responsive to these sorts of to these sorts of treatments compared to something like, for example, maybe CBT. Although, um, having said that, there are there are trials combining CBT with direct current stimulation um, because uh, DCS in itself with with healthy people has been found to have uh, positive effects on cognition, so with working memory or verbal fluency. So they're thinking if you combine that with uh, CBT, then it might help to sort of uh, potentiate the brain to to better learn uh, the sorts of things that they're trying to pick up with, uh, with CBT.
1: Just staying with that, I'm hearing that some people are using devices at home that simulate DCS. Is that um, a known thing?
0: Yeah, yeah. Th- there are some uh, DCS devices out on the market. I don't know if you've, you've seen them. Some of them are marketed for all sorts of different things. So, for example, one of them is marketed for computer gaming uh, to improve their computer gaming skills. Um, a- another type, yeah, for sports uh, to improve uh, muscle strength. Um But in terms of clinical applications, uh, the latest trials uh, have uh, trialled a uh, home-administered DCS. So uh, at the Black Dog Institute, we're actually doing the first um, uh, trial of home-administered DCS for depression. So people go home with a a different device compared to this. And uh, we control the amount of stimulation they can give to themselves by giving a a single-use code that they need to activate uh, the machine. Um, and it's also been trialled for multiple uh, sclerosis um, because uh, DCS is quite adaptive. You can put the electrodes anywhere on the, the head, uh, depending on what I guess what type of behaviour, what sort of disorder you're trying to, to treat. So that's where DCS is possibly going. Um, and you, you've seen that the size of the machine. It's, it's quite accessible for a lot of people. Uh, they can do it at home. A TMS machine is actually quite big and quite heavy, so it's it's like a almost like a like a, a, a big microwave oven, um, and it, it's quite heavy, so it's not very portable. Um, whereas with the home administered DCS, we actually had uh, a participant travel down from Queensland, um, get trained on the device, then got sent home. It's been about a month since she finished the trial, and uh, she's actually a lot better than what she was at the start. She had a, a clinically significant. Uh, improvement, and, uh, which is the same response she had when she came for a, a trial at the Black Dog Institute. We had to, she had to come every weekday, um, and she had a similar response. So, at least with these home administered devices, they're looking to, looking to be at least as effective as the devices that we administer at Black Dog with, uh, the, tra- with the, the research staff actually administering the treatment.
2: But having said that, we highly discourage.
0: Yeah, so it's still... Do it yourself this year. So this is just
2: because it's under very controlled research conditions, like we train them, they know where to put the electrodes, we know the exact amount of intensity they are stimulating, yeah. the time we're monitoring them. So th- that's different from buying a device on the internet, plug it in into your head and...
0: So it's, yeah, so it's, it, it's still, it's still no. very much at a clinical trial stage. So it's not yet an improved treatment for depression. Um, but from what we've seen, uh, at least compared to TMS, so um, our group has done sort of fifteen years of research on TMS and DCS, and uh, DCS is lo- looking to be at least as effective as uh, TMS. But it's not necessarily the case that someone who responds to TMS would also also respond to to DCS, or vice versa.
1: Is there a risk of switching with ketamine if it's used in someone with a bipolar depression?
2: Yeah, yeah. So there's no trials, there's no RCTs specifically in bipolar depression, but there's some literature like open label or single cases of people um, with bipolar depression that has, have been given ketamine. We don't have experience because our trials exclude bipolar depression. The risk is of switching. So you can actually switch rapidly into a manic episode or hypomanic episode. Yeah. But having said that, there's also a risk of switching with TMS and with DCS, for instance. And we do um we do trial TMS and DCS in bipolar patients as long as they are in mood stabilizers, they're not rapid cycle cyclers, and they're more or less stable um, into the pattern of switching.
1: I've got a sense that ketamine's very effective and maybe comparable to ECT. Um, how effective are we finding TMS and DCS?
0: Um, with meta analyses done in clinical trials and also uh, TMS clinics in the states, the typical um, response rate is 40 to 50% of uh, patients have a what's called a, what's considered a clinically significant response, which is at least a 50% improvement on standardised uh, sort of mood rating scores. Um, around maybe. 25% would have would still have a noticeable improvement, although not qualify for clinically significant response, and maybe 25% would have uh, no response uh, whatsoever. But having said that, um, it's not necessarily the case that you can generalise this to the whole uh, depression population, because uh, you know clinical trials are quite stringent in what sort of people enter these trials. So what you put in could affect uh, what comes out. Um, but typically, as I mentioned earlier, for, for these sorts of trials, uh, usually people with uh, sort of a biological flavour to their depression or melancholic flavour are the ones that are considered suitable for these treatments.
2: So, so like in, in lay words, um, I would say that <laughs> ECT and ketamine are at the top level of efficacy. So they, they're going to be efficacious like in most of the cases. And then at at the kind of a lower step, we have TMS and DCS. So if you have a very severe form of depression or psychotic depression, you wouldn't prescribe them DCS or TMS. Like if there was ketamine available, you would prescribe them ketamine or ECT. So in terms of potency of effects, um, ECT and ketamine are similar. And then TMS at this year has a similar, other kind of more moderate type of effect.
1: And I'm curious, Anna. It sounds like you, you had to go day after day after day for several weeks. Is it hard to keep up the motivation? To
3: uh, yes, <laughs> um, I I live, I have very supportive. I have a very supportive family. Um, ...and a friend, a close friend who actually um, uh, came here for TMS... Um, ...and who told me about the trial. And she and my mother convinced me um, to enter see if I could enter the trial. Um, and also uh, in the sort of later stages of um, coming here every day... I also um, began part-time work again um, and also had um, a lot of support there as well. Um, So, yeah, it is – it does – you really do have to make a commitment Um, and I think it was – I was at the point where I needed to make that commitment to – Come here every day for, um, I can't remember, it was it four or six weeks. Um, it was eight weeks? Eight weeks. Yeah, eight weeks, yeah. <laughs> four, and four. <laughs> four and four, yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, um, but uh, yeah, being, I think, being that depressed it sort of really gave me the um, motivation um, to do it. So, yeah. Do you find
1: in the that in the trial there are people who do drop out because they can't maintain the motivation to keep coming?
0: No, to to everyone's credit, we've had a very good completion rate. Um, We've had a look at the numbers for our current trial and we've had sort of 61 people start and 59 completed eight weeks Um, because pretty much from the very start, we're at pains to say repeatedly that this is a a sham controlled trial Most people choose to go through the trial for eight weeks because they want to make sure that they get the real treatment. Um, So from the very start, people know what they're getting themselves into and they're pretty much committed to, to seeing it through.
1: Okay. Well, please join me in thanking our wonderful, incredibly knowledgeable panel.
0: Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more of our podcasts, subscribe to Black Dog Institute on iTunes. If you're interested in knowing more about our educational programs and research, please visit our website at
3: blackdog.org.au.